Hello. Hello. Hi. Welcome to Tales from Wisteria Lane. With the boyfriends, I'm Billy Ray. And I'm Joel. This is the podcast where we give you a fair view of all things Desperate Housewives. Welcome. Today's episode is Season 3, Episode 6, Sweetheart, I Have to Confess. So, if you're new here, we take it in turns to basically one of us will do the outline of the episode and one will do the trivia. Today, I have the honour of doing the outline while Joel does the trivia. Yes. Before you get started though, Joel, I did some research of my own, right? (sighs) So, do you remember last week when Tom threw the pizza dough in the air? Yeah. And we were like, "Is is that what they do? It is what they do. Well, in case you weren't familiar, I made a clip of it anyway. So here's a clip. Uh, so we move to Lynette um, and Lynette comes home from work and Tom is making pizzas. He um, is. He and is. look at him chucking that dough in the air. He is doughing that dough. I don't really know what the terminology is for when you throw the dough in the air. I'm not sure, but I think what he's doing is kneading it. Yeah, like there's the kneading. I'm not sure if the throwing in the air is considered kneading or if it has its own separate I don't... Like, wording. I'm not sure. Does it have a word? I don't know. It a might f- do. I'm not a professional pizza maker. We, we'll call we'll call our local Domino's and ask. A pizzierge. Yes. Who's that queer? So <laughs> that was last week. I did that in case you forgot, which you didn't. But anyway, so I did a bit of research on this. I actually called Domino's to find out. Not the local one, because I didn't want to sound like a crazy person. I didn't want them to see my number and never serve us pizza ever again. <laughs> so what did you just call like a Domino's in like Manchester or something? No, I called Domino's in Whitstable. <laughs> So the next town over, and I said, I saw this in a TV show, and I'm doing some research, it's for a podcast, and I asked about if they throw the pizza in the air, and he says, they don't throw the pizza in the air when they make the dough. Apparently experienced people can do this in restaurants though. I asked if this was part of the kneading process, and the gentleman on the phone said no. So I asked what it's called when you do that, and he just said, throw it in the air, I guess. (laughs) Well... (laughs) Well, yeah, because you ask them if they do it, and they're like, no, we don't do it. And then you start asking them all these questions, and they're like, I don't know, we, we don't do it. Well, I was <laughs> interested. I thought it was important after last week. Okay, so next stop is ZZ's. But I looked online, and I found this article from the 25th of January 2015 by uh, com. The article is called The Importance of Tossing Pizza Dough. It says, throwing pizza dough extends the dough and stretches it into the perfect shape. The crust gets its shape and the dough spins in the air while the flour and the air help to ensure a perfectly non-uniform crust. Tender in some spots and crispy in others. So there we go, because nobody likes a uniform pizza. No, that sounds horrible. It just sounds really weird and, and unnatural. Everyone likes a bit of an awkward, odd pizza. Yeah, so when I do research, I like to look into unnecessary things and give you some fun facts but there you go a little bit about pizza i mean i like to do that as well if there's something (laughs) in the episode that screams like oh that's odd let's see if there's anything interesting with that (laughs) unfortunately i didn't get anything like that in this episode so you're getting basic trivia today guys okay well what trivia do you have baby okay so the episode was written by davi waller and josh center and directed by david grossman and it originally aired on october 29th 2006 this episode title, Sweetheart, I Have to Confess, is from the lyrics of the song Could I Leave You from the Stephen Sondheim musical Follies. That's cheating. Well, I guess after so many episodes, you kind of run out of Stephen Sondheim musical songs and you just sort of have to use lyrics. Oh, well, now we can really branch out. Exactly. <laughs> uh, the French title translates to Absolution and it is pronounced Absolution. The Hungarian title is My Quite Big Sin. Uh, the Italian title is Darling, I Have to Confess One Thing to You. That's a bit much. Yeah, I know. All of the rest were 
pretty basic or, or similar. Why did you change Sweetheart to Darling? Wasn't it necessary? <laughs> so why did you just have to add one thing to you? I guess it's translation, but yeah. oh well. <laughs> uh, Kirsten Warren, who plays Nora, speaks Russian and used to be a competitive gymnast. That's cool. Doug Savant used to work as a delivery driver for a pizza place before he actually started acting. Doug Ooh. Savant plays Tom. Hell, 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 hell method. <laughs> uh, Nicolette Sheridan spent three years at a private prep college near LA and was nearly kicked out when she was caught forging her mother's signatures. <laughs> and her mother then shipped her off to a no-nonsense school just outside of London until she graduated. How very Edie. Right? <laughs> so Edie was, Nicolette Sheridan was with us in the UK yeah. for a brief period of time. One of Felicity Huffman's acting students when she taught at the Atlantic Theatre Company was Jessica Alba. Are you serious? Yep. Cool. Ernie Hudson, who plays Detective Ridley, uh, was on the shortlist, this will interest you, to play the master in Doctor Who back in 1996. Oh. Uh, the role went to Eric Roberts instead. However, Ernie does make an appearance in Torchwood Miracle Day. And Crawford Brown, who plays Ida Greenberg, died three days after her 90th birthday and was an English teacher up until the 80s when she decided to retire and pursue acting. And in her 80s, in, in her 80s? In the 80s, sorry, she would have been nearly 60 oh. when she retired English teaching and pursued acting. So another success story of people that drop their careers and pursue acting later in life. Talking to you, Alan Rickman. And she started even later than Catherine Houston. She did. Um, and that's all my trivia. I just I just did a little bit of character trivia this episode instead. Or like actor trivia. Excellent. Well, we got a lot of trivia this episode. We did, yeah. <laughs> so previously on Desperate Housewives, Gabby and Carlos slept with different people to try and get to each other. Their relationship is just getting worse and worse. It's toxic right now. Britney Spears called. She said you're toxic. Yeah, look, look, she's even on my shirt today, guys. She's there judging you. <laughs> Tom finally found out what his dream job is and tells Lynette that he wants to open a pizza parlor, but won't listen to any advice from Lynette as to how to... Pursue it. How to get it started a bit smoothly. Yeah. Detective Ridley and an associate find a phone number on the back of Monique's hand, and when they call it, they get through to Mike's voicemail. And finally, Susan and Edie are fighting over Mike again, but this time Edie has the advantage as she has convinced Mike that Susan was a two-time in skank. Uh, yeah, I mean, the only reason Edie's winning right now is because Mike's got amnesia. Yeah, and like, that is all you need to know going into this episode. No offence, Edie, we love you, but we all know that's the only reason you're winning. Mm. So Edie is at church confessing her sins to Father O'Malley, which apparently she's been doing since she was a child. We see a funny montage of Edie confessing different sins, and then apparently she's told to just go out into the world and sin no more. But unfortunately for Edie, temptations seem to be everywhere. Just having an affair with a folk singing duo? <laughs> what the hell? Like, Edie is everything, and I say get it, queen. Like, you be sexually active and proud. She visits Mike in the hospital and asks her what they were like before he went into the hospital, and Edie tells him that he barely knew she existed. She was just another neighbour to him. When he asks why she's there helping him so much, and if they were just friends, she says that she basically fell in love with him from the moment she first laid eyes on him. Aww. She says she doesn't expect anything out of this, but that when he sees her in the street, picking up her mail, she'd like it if he could just look at her. And Mike says, I'm looking at you now. And they kiss. <gasps> we finish on a shot of her confessing that she made out with Mike to Father O'Malley, but Mary Alice thinks this is just a brag in disguise. This scene is all kinds of messy. Like, it is a messy scene. And to be fair, like I say to be fair, um, to me, it makes no sense. <laughs> 
Because we've already established in the previous episode that Mike is Edie's girlfriend. So why should Edie have to reiterate to him that when he's back on the lane, he acknowledges her and looks at her? Because they're together now. Unless Edie's just going around telling everybody they're together, but she's not actually made that official with Mike, which then just puts Edie in a bad light. It also just looks a bit weird if you've told the nursing staff, because it's like, do you just hope that they don't bring it up? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it makes no sense. Like this, I know they were going somewhere with this. They needed to sh- have Edie show a vulnerable moment with Mike so we can see Mike acknowledge Edie. But what we should have done is have that scene before she was referred to as Mike's girlfriend. Yeah. So that it sort of naturally segued into it as opposed to being referred to the girlfriend and then and then being like, it would be really nice if you looked at me once in a while. <laughs> we then have the title sequence and we cut to Brie, who is at home when Mary Alice says that there was nothing Brie hated more than an unexpected knock at the door. And I think we can all relate to Brie here. Yeah, but to be fair, you can't expect every knock at the door. No, but you can hate them all. <laughs> you can. That is true. Touche. It gets worse for Brie as it's Carolyn Bigsby at the door. She goes to shut the door in her face until Carolyn's husband appears behind her and says that he's convinced Carolyn to march on over here and apologise for the accusations that Orson murdered Alma. That was the most comedic shot I think I've ever seen in Desperate Housewives. What, the husband appearing out of nowhere? Out of nowhere. How did she not see him standing behind Carolyn and then all of a sudden she's like, oh, Harvey, and I'm just like, what the fuck it is looked going like, on? It looked like he just sort of walked out from behind a bush. <laughs> didn't it? <laughs> right? It was just so weird. So apparently she was on some strong Mexican painkillers that she got online. Brie accepts the apology and then the men decide that they should meet up for dinner sometime. Brie does however tell Orson that if he thinks that she's going to break bread with that malignant pill-popping shrew then he's out of his mind. They really really glossed over Carolyn's Mexican painkiller addiction didn't they? Well <laughs> he was just like oh part of it was because you know I caught her buying Mexican painkillers online, but I put a stop to that. And then all of a sudden, that was it. Like, that, that was it. <laughs> okay. But that was the most awkward door conversation ever. That was. That was. <laughs> I mean, but Carolyn clearly didn't want to apologise. No, she Completely. was, um, she was like, rehearsing a play in her head. <laughs> yeah, it was almost like, the way that they'd shot Harvey standing behind Carolyn, it was almost like he had a gun to her back. It's <laughs> almost the same as how Brie made Andrew apologise for stealing Mary Alice's frog <laughs> when he was little. Yes, and Harvey's there behind Carolyn mouthing the words. So, Sue is outside taking up the trash. When Sue. Su- yeah, Susan. <laughs> Sue. <laughs> so, Sue's outside taking up the trash when Ian knocks on the front door. She decides to hide behind the car from him when Karen McCluskey sees her when she's walking by. She tries to send Karen away with hand signals, but Karen is obviously feeling a bit mischievous today, so she loudly says hello to Susan, alerting Ian to her position before walking on. I hope... I'm like Mrs. McCluskey when I'm old. Like, just giving no shits and walking up and down the lane I live on, like, fucking shit up for everyone I bump into. I feel like you do that now. (laughs) (laughs) I don't do that now. Don't even talk to the neighbours. So Susan lies and says that she wasn't hiding from Ian and invites her to a party where she can meet an editor he knows, but she doesn't want to go as it might be awkward. He also asks how things are with Mike and Susan says they're moving along, which is another lie. Well, not really. They are moving, just not in the direction that she wants them to move. I wouldn't say they're moving. The only movement was when she stole him from the hospital. Well, yeah, but I mean, there was that was movement. So we're at another divorce settlement with Gabby, Carlos. Are we not going to talk about Susan's comment to Edie, about Edie that she made to Ian? When Ian was like, oh, and this has nothing to do with the blonde that visits Mike. And she was like, oh, that's just Edie. She's a neighbour. She visits Mike after her hepatitis C appointments. <laughs> no, I didn't even pick up on the line, to be honest. <laughs> and I was like, yes, Susan, it is time to start throwing it back. 
<laughs> well, I didn't even pick up on the line, to be honest. Oh, my God. That was Edie Sass, but from Susan. Oh, Sassy Susan It today. was Sassy Susan. So, yeah. So, we're at another divorce settlement meeting with Gabby, Carlos, and the lawyers. And it looks kind of like Gabby's winning. The lawyers are going out with each other while Gabby just loudly slurps her drink and smiles along. Ugh. But Carlos has had enough, guys. And he tells them to just give her what she wants. Gabby's lawyer finds this very exciting, saying, They completely folded! But this just throws off Gabby, who says that Carlos never folds and something must be up. Come on, Miss Marple, start digging for clues. Yeah, she was well inquisitive there. She's right. like, something's not right. She's there like, oh, what's that episode of Doctor Who? The right. Doctor and the Wasp. Yes, that one. Who is it in that? Agatha Christie. Thank you. <laughs> what about her? <laughs> right. <laughs> Gabby's just there turning to her lawyer like, Agatha Christie. <laughs> But, like, I was pissed off at Carlos in this scene for interrupting the lawyers that were going at it. They were, like, dogs barking at each other, and it was so funny to see. Lawyers going at each other is always hilarious because they're so catty. They're really catty. Like, it's like, oh, maybe you didn't cover that in last call, Myron. But... Right. So Tom is now showing Lynette the building for his restaurant for the first time, and he tells her to see with her imagination and not with her eyes. So she walks in, eyes closed... But Lynette thinks it's a complete dump. <laughs> Tom is super excited by the potential of the place, but Lynette isn't. And it turns out that Tom has already signed a lease on the building without telling Lynette. He proudly states that this is the best opportunity of his life as a rat run past his feet. And the scene ends with Tom sadly reminding Lynette that she said she would support him as she tries to walk out. Well, my mistake. I assumed you'd have a dream worth supporting. She just walks in like, oh my god. It's like, you're meant to see with your imagination. You saw with your eyes. So, I mean, what did you think about the restaurant from first impressions? I can see the potential, but yeah. it is a bit of a dump. Oh, it is, it is a dump. It, but Lynette. It's dirty and it's gross. It's clearly been empty for a while. I think Lynette's worried because she's worried he's going to potentially not do so well anyway. Mm. So doing this up is already going to cost a lot of money without it being a dump to start with. Yeah. But once you do it up, it does have potential. Yeah. It look, it's really quirky. It looks like it's in like a really interesting, quirky location. The stairs down to the front door and stuff. But mm, signing a contract on a place without consulting your wife is huge no-no. Yeah. Like Are we huge... going to get a, a Tom rant? I just think it's disrespectful because it's not cheap. Purchasing a place isn't cheap. And yes, Lynette has had her reservations about the whole process. But you still don't just go signing on to something without communicating with your wife. And I would imagine that you would need the financial backing of your wife to purchase this as well, considering that one of you doesn't have a job. Was, nice. that, was that it? That was your Tom rant? That was my Tom rant, because I, I Tom rant a lot. What was and the shouting? I'm sorry, but <laughs> I just I only shout at you outside the podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but like I can't be annoyed at Tom because he's done well. This is a really good place. I would. It looks Italian already. It There's lo- no it Tom looks, rant about the lease? It looks very Italian, but I've, I've had a rant on the contract there we go I've done my bit I've done my rant that was so disappointing let's move on (laughs) things aren't looking good for poor Brie today who's having a drink with her friend not a drink drink no no like water she's probably have yeah she's probably got some juice yeah possibly at the country club possibly at a restaurant country club don't know okay she's because they were playing tennis I think Oh, right. Okay. So she's having a drink with her friend at the country club and says a quick hello to a passing friend who completely ignores her. Not only does she ignore her, though, she says hi to Bree's friend. Tish is everything. Hi, Tish. Hello, Rebecca. Oh, <laughs> oh talk about your cold shoulder. Oh, my God. It was just absolutely amazing. So Bree brings this up to her friend who she's sitting with, who points out that 
all of Carolyn Bigsby's friends have heard about Bree marrying Orson, even though she told him, she told her, sorry, that he was a murderer. We then cut to a shot of Bree walking into another part of the restaurant, or the restaurant part of the country club, and she goes up to the doorman to book a table under the names Hodge and Bigsby and asks for a table in the centre of the room. So Brie is concocting another Brie plan. She is, she is. You can tell when she says, in the centre of the room, please. It's the, like, who wants to be in the centre of the room? The people, at, so they can get noticed. Exactly, that's part of the plan. The people at this club mm. are just fantastic. I'd have a TV series based solely around this club. And Why? you could have, because they just, they're so bougie and upper class. And then you could have Brie Vanderkamp, or Hodge, as she may be, um, like popping in, making cameos every now and again. I'd like it if it was a mockumentary. Like, I think it would just be so funny. But, like, it would be, like, a mixture of High School Musical 2, because they're set in a country club and you've got all of these posh, upper-class, bougie people, and The Office. So we have the mockumentary of the employees that work at the country club bitching about the rich, posh, upper-class people. I think it'd be funny if it was in the vein of Parks and Rec or The Office, just this sort of mockumentary about it. Yeah, yeah, from the the employees, like, like perspective. Baby, you have to write that. That's... Uh, there we go, there we go, like, T- TM, trademark, trademark. All right, you we've commission tra- it. We've trademarked it. So Lynette is doing laundry, and the twins are asking when they're going to see Daddy. And Lynette takes this moment to talk about how angry she is with him. She says that once he stops being a petulant child, that he'll come home while Kayla listens in the background. She then walks off and phones Nora to tell her all the gossip. So clearly, Kayla is aiding in Nora's evil scheme. Kayla's so cute. She's so cute on the phone when she's like, Nora's like, okay, sweet pea, you did a good job. And she's like, okay, bye, mom. <laughs> oh, she's so cute. It's not Kayla's fault. No, it's not. That's Kayla's her. getting manipulated by her mom. Kayla yeah. doesn't know what she's doing. She doesn't understand the fundamentals of what's going on right now. Yeah. She's just doing what her mother's asking her to do, which is be her little spy. But Nora does look amazing in oh. this scene she had like this leopard print I'm not really a fan of leopard print I'm not really a fan of animal print to be fair in general I can find it a little bit tacky sorry not sorry but um Nora looks amazing now she's dropped those weird ponytails <laughs> girls starting to look fierce and I wouldn't want to leave her alone with my man have you seen that they do leopard print carpet now ew it also comes in blue Blue leopard print. Yeah. That's disgusting. Why are we going back to the 70s? That sounds like Austin Powers. That sounds like a shag pad for Austin Powers. <laughs> I feel kind of bad for Lynette, though, because it's like she can't even just have a rant when Kayla's around. She's constantly being spied on. Yeah, but to be fair, she shouldn't really be having a rant to her children about their father in this way. It's better, I don't well, think it's that better she to should. be honest. Yeah, but I don't think she should. If she's got a problem, if she's frustrated, I don't think you should be bitching about the father to the children, especially when the children are that young. Once you're our age, yeah, fine. Because we understand that, you know, there's you know, parents have problems and there's arguments and, you know, disagreements and sometimes people just need to vent. But when you're at that age, every argument's the, the end of the world. Every argument's huge. There's no such thing as venting or a little disagreement or a tiff. That's actually what I liked about this scene, though, because she does say that they're not divorcing or anything. She's just a bit angry with Daddy at the moment. And she's being very honest about it because you can't lie to kids and say that you're not arguing. Because kids always pick up on it. No, kids do pick up on it. But there's a difference between telling a child that you and Daddy are arguing, (laughs) Daddy, and telling the children the specifics of why you and the dad are arguing. And she's there literally telling them everything. Oh, he's been careless with your money or my money and your futures. (laughs) And yeah, she's not wrong. We don't say that to the kids. I still appreciate it. I thought it was quite good parenting. Okay. So, Gabby picks up some of Carlos's mail, who very quickly grabs it off her and says, It's mine! And he puts it away and locks it in a cupboard. 
Gabby finds this suspicious, and so when he goes to take a shower, she decides to investigate. So now she's being all Miss Marple on them. Right, girl is devious. That's suspicious. She takes the key and gets the letter, which turns out to be a bunch of papers, and she sends it over to the lawyer because she cannot be bothered to decipher it, quite frankly. She doesn't have the time, but right. also... She does have the time. Like She does nothing. No, but she doesn't. Not when Carlos is up only upstairs having a shower. She's got like a 10-minute window yeah. to like have a flick through. These days but you take a picture on your also, phone. Also, that was a big-ass document. And do you know how long that's going to take to fax over to him, girl? Exactly. Like, yeah. That's going to take years to send that fax. Also, who even has a fax machine anymore? When talking to the lawyer, it's revealed that the papers are actually a contract for a job and Gabby isn't happy to hear that she won't be getting half of the money following the divorce. Yeah. Realising this is why he was so willing to get the divorce pushed through quickly, Gabby decides that with this new information, she's going to stall the divorce. Hey, two million. Oh like, my god. I mean, it's it's shady. I wouldn't do this. Gabby, stop. <laughs> this is such an evil plan, Gabby. Yeah. Gabby and Carlos are such a mess. But we will have to see how it works out. But it's just so funny. It's just getting worse. <laughs> it's War of the Roses all over again. So this next scene is super uncomfortable. <laughs> Susan's gone to visit Mike in the hospital, and as she walks past, one of the nurses says, Is that Susan Meyer? Mr. Delfino doesn't want to be disturbed. But for some reason, Susan still manages to get get to Mike's room before anyone can catch before her. Before anyone can stop her. Like, how hard is it to just yell, Oh, Mrs. Mrs. Meyer. Mrs. Meyer. It's not that hard to yell. These staff are so incompetent. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. So she pulls back the curtain. Now I know how your mum feels. <laughs> she pulls back the curtain and finds Edie on top of him with her bra coming down. <gasps> that look on her face. She loved it. She has been waiting forever for that moment. This is the moment she wanted when she turned to her in the hospital and said, I'm, I'm going, going to destroy, destroy you. you. You go on, girl. Right. You get your revenge. Right. She's there. She's committed. She's seen it through. Love that. So Susan goes home, probably heartbroken, and throws the flowers that she bought for Mike into the bin, and she's invited over for a drink by Lynette, who's next door, enjoying some alone time, drinking some margaritas on the porch. I mean, she dropped half of those flowers on the floor in the hospital as well, when she was running down the hallway <laughs> doing her best Cindy from Scary Movie impression. Oh yeah. And I'm she's not like, crazy. <laughs> but I, I wouldn't be shocked if it turns out that Edie texts Susan off of Mike's phone to say come to the hospital specifically so that she could cause this drama. Well, that would be interesting, but that didn't happen. No, I know. Which is actually kind of a shame. But... I, don't, I also don't hate Susan's dress in this scene for once. <laughs> it's a nice colour, it's a nice shape. Uh, good, good, good for you, Susan. I mean, you want me to dislike Edie's show, but you have to try harder than this, honestly. Right. Well, Edie is the Cersei Lannister of Desperate Housewives, and you love Cersei Lannister. Oh yeah, Cersei's great. <laughs> so there we go. You're never gonna hate. You're never gonna hate Edie. We cut to a shot of them, as in Sue and Lynn, on the bench <laughs> drinking their cocktails on the porch. Sue Lynn. <laughs> and Susan wants to know how she can off Edie without doing time. They both give a little shout out to Paul Young, saying that they wish he was around because. He'd know what to do in that situation. That Paul Young <laughs> comment should not go unnoticed. Everyone knows. Just... <laughs> I wish Paul Young were around. He'd know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> the neighborhood murderer. <laughs> I just, I love this. Just drinking cocktails with your friends on the porch. Oh, it gets better. They see Gabby running by and they invite her over for drinks too. And then right. we have just this really cute moment and they're all catching up and they're having their drinks, talking about men and stuff, how to kill Edie. Stuff you can really imagine these characters gossiping about. Yeah. 
This season's really good for that, actually. It is really good for that. We're getting an awful lot of just the girls gossiping together. Girl time. Like, we're just getting an awful lot of girl time, which I love. Yeah. I love to see that. So anyway, the detectives are with Mike in the hospital, and they show him an artist's rendition of Monique, who he obviously doesn't remember or recognise. And when Edie explains what happened with Mike and the amnesia, the detectives think this is very convenient. <laughs> I just... They even bring up how he killed a police officer before, and when Mike says that it was self-defense, Detective Ridley says, or was it beginner's luck? <laughs> he even gets a really sassy line where Mike tells him to leave, and Ridley replies with, are you always this angry, Mr. Delfino, or can't you remember? <laughs> right? <laughs> Like, what the hell? What the hell is this scene? This detective, I know they're supposed to be like a good cop and a bad cop, but this <laughs> scene is just both bad cops. And this detective is sassy and unnecessarily rude and just idiots. Mike runs a business. It's, is a, it it's really... a case of um, even if the cop was bad, it's we look out for our own. Well, yeah, I know. But Mike runs a business. So is it really that shocking that his number would be on the back of someone's hand? It's not that shocking. He runs a business. He runs a plumbing business. It's not just like a really random business. It's, They've it's probably plumbing. seen that he's killed a police officer and they want to bring him down. Yeah, probably. Because um, amnesia isn't... Uh, what, what was the word they used? Not coincidence. Convenient. Convenience. Yeah. Um, like, it wasn't convenient. He didn't hit himself with the car. He didn't give himself amnesia because he murdered Monique and was like, oh yeah, this can be my get out clause. It's not convenience. <laughs> no one wants amnesia. So I just, just he's lost his memory. There's no need to take the piss out of him for it. Detective, you remember. Detective Ridley was brilliant in this scene. He was really good. He was but, so funny. But still, this poor Mike. <laughs> yeah, poor Mike. And poor Edie. Why? She's probably like, what the fuck have I just got myself into? Right. Now I get him and he's got police all on him. Right. Tom is at the restaurant building, scrubbing the floors, when Nora comes over with food and wine. She gets him nice and drunk and tells him that Lynette is a negative Nelly for not seeing the potential in this place. Oh, point shout out to negative Nelly. It's a great saying. And I will <laughs> note that Tom does actually stand up for Lynette here, saying she's just realistic. And Nora tells him that she's very intuitive and can see how Tom is prone to success. So she's just talking crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I fucking love Nora's dress in this scene. Oh, yeah? Like, if I was to still be doing uh, best and worst outfits, she would get the best outfit for sure. I've got a mask, like coronavirus right there. I've got a mask in that same fabric. That picnic brand. <laughs> like, <laughs> look, right, 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 right here. It's this one. This one. That was yeah. pretty much her dress in that scene. And she looked fierce. She was coming down that runway like Lawrence Cheney. Oh, yeah. She looked through her wardrobe and thought, if I'm going to seduce Tom, I need to stop looking like an idiot. Yeah, I need to start looking Scottish. <laughs> Nora then decides to try and kiss Tom, and when he pulls away, she gets mad. She does get mad. She says that Tom wanted it and he led her on. Again, I will point out he does stick up for Lynette, saying that she is the wife trying to stop him from screwing up and keeping him grounded. And I, d I appreciated this scene. I really did appreciate this scene, but there were some problems, so I'm going to go on a Tom rant now. Yes! How is it okay for Tom now to admit that Lynette is correct, but to Lynette's face, he can never agree with her? The problem Tom has is he's got too much pride. I think like, Tom's it, a bit too defensive. Like, does it take that much to just turn to someone and say, yeah, you're right. Turning to Nora, he was there like, oh no, Lynette's right. The, the restaurant business is brutal. Great. Why couldn't you say that to Lynette when she said that to you in the previous episode? And she was like, this is my suggestion for your plan because 90% of restaurants fail. Yeah. Also, are wired headphones considered a tech throwback now? Wired headphones? Yeah. No, of course they're not. Or is it not a text throwback because people still wear wired headphones? Yeah. Although we've got... I mean, we're wearing wired ones right now, but... <laughs> I was going to say no. But, like, we've got wireless headphones now. So I saw it and was like, look at Tom wearing wired headphones like some chump. 
<laughs> nah, baby, we'll have to try harder than that, I'm afraid. <laughs> Love that Nora has pushed... She's clearly pushed Tom and Lynette back together in, with this move because that was Tom that was like, no, I love my wife like, and I think I should be going back home to her. Yeah. So she's clearly pushed them back together. But oh, it was because she was too eager. If she'd have just continued a little bit longer, she might have broken them down enough to make a move. The problem with Nora is that the minute something doesn't go well for her, she just starts moaning and like really getting pathetic about she has it. She's a tantrum. The way she was like, oh, you led me on. Yeah. And I was like, really, Nora? No, no, no. You kissed me. No, actually, you kissed him, Nora. <laughs> yeah, and who's who would you believe? You know who who would you believe? But no, I just I think that Nora's too impatient. She doesn't like to play the long game, and if she'd have just played the long game, she could have won. Yeah, broke him down, break Lynette's character down more. Yeah, but she was just too eager. She was like, oh yeah, the minute Tom and Lynette have an argument, she's like, yeah, I'm heading, I'm heading right over there. Like Tom and Lynette don't argue like every other episode. That's your problem, Nora. You don't know them well enough yet. This scene is so funny. This next scene, guys. This is the bit you've been waiting for. Favourite scene. This is literally my favourite scene. I would love to have spoke with these ladies and just asked how it was to record this scene. Felicity, how was it to have to hug Terry Hatcher? You know, I just, I'd love to know. (laughs) I honestly think this is possibly one of my favourite scenes in Desperate Housewives. (laughs) So Lynette, Susan and Gabby are all drinking on the porch. It's night time now. They've been drinking for a They've while, They've been probably. drinking for a while, it would appear, yeah. They're clearly quite drunk. And uh, Gabby sees this old married couple walking by and she starts shouting at them. <laughs> she starts shouting at them. Um, I've got a clip. Yeah, we're drinking on the porch. You got a problem with that? Oh, I know them. They live on Cyprus. They just celebrated their 53rd wedding anniversary. Show off. Don't worry, it won't last. You're just fooling yourselves! Hey, I know them. Oh, 53 years. What do you think their secret is? I'll take a wild guess. The man never opened a pizza place. Oh, I just thought of something. I'm never gonna celebrate a 53rd wedding anniversary. I'd have to live into my 90s. Oh my God, I'm gonna die. (laughs) That was... I love how it just led to, I'm gonna die. It's a classic drunk, like, honestly... So they just really conveyed the the different types of drunks you get. <laughs> yeah. The bitter one, the hopeful one, and then the one that's literally just like, oh, I'm dying. I'm dying, everyone. I'm dying. Every second I lose is a second closer to my death. So the ladies are drinking and uh, Gabby basically realises that she still loves Carlos and she admits this to the girls. And we have a classic Lynette line where she goes, yeah, he's hot. <laughs> Yeah, oh my god, that. We've been waiting for that line. And Lynette admits that she does want Tom to have what he wants, but only if it's what she wants as well. Yeah, she was like, I'm a bitch with a capital C. Lynette is just fantastic here. She's like, I'm a B-I-C-T-H. Susan starts getting sad, probably because she's realised that she's going to die one day. Yeah. And Lynette drunkenly leans over to give Susan a friendly hug. Oh, And she spills her whole cocktail all over the porch. Yeah. That's such a waste of booze. So messy. We haven't even talked about Gabby just shouting at the people. (gasps) Gabby, drunk Gabby looks like so much fun. Like, I would party with her. She she gives me, like, Studio 54 vibes. I would rock up to Studio 54 with her and party with, like, Andy Warhol and Grace Jones. Oh, hold on. Liza Minnelli. Hold on. Gabby is not fun here. Gabby's not the friend you want to have when she's drunk. Did you just see her? Yeah, exactly. She just started shouting at people. She's absolutely hilarious. That's the embarrassing friend. She's like, oh, you're just fooling yourselves. And I'm just like, yes. Yeah, we're drinking. (laughs) 
on the porch, so what? Exactly, exactly. She's there like, fuck you guys for judging, so we're drinking. Susan tells the ladies that she screwed it up with Ian, and she could see herself really growing old with someone like him, and the ladies tell her to go for it. Go back to Ian. They're obviously very drunk, because this is a terrible idea. Yeah. Like, you just got away from the guy. Yeah. Please, stop. Stop her. And then a taxi pulls up, asking if they know where he can find an Ida Greenberg. And they all decide that this was a message from God, telling Susan to go for it. So Susan says that she's Ida Greenberg and steals the taxi so that she can go to Ian. Look, Susan, God called you a cab. <laughs> oh, ladies. <laughs> and, then, and then they cheer as she drives off and they drive right past Ida with her suitcases. That's Poor so Ida. Where was Ida going? <laughs> it was so sad. I imagine she's like going on holiday or visiting family. And <laughs> I'm Ida Greenberg. <laughs> The disrespect to Ida. Yeah, yeah, go Ida! Woo! (laughs) (laughs) It's such a good scene. It's such a... Just watching the women be drunk and silly, and then you've got the poor old Ida, like the comedic little bit at the end, just, yeah. So Susan does show up to Ian's party. All the guests are dressed really smart with their suits and their dresses, so naturally Susan stands the fuck out. And she is clearly very drunk. Yeah. Ian asks her if she's drunk. Well, actually, quite specifically, what was it he says? Are you sloshed? Ugh. Ugh. Like, look, guys, okay, I know Michael McIntyre has made it very evident that you can replace the word drunk with anything, and it sounds like you're talking about someone absolutely pissed. But British people don't say sloshed. No. We don't say sloshed. So Susan decides to tell him what's really in her heart. But before she gets the chance, Ian's sucking on an oyster throws her off, so she runs into the bathroom to throw up to the shock of pretty much all of the guests. Yeah, including the one that she was supposed to meet. Oh, poor Susan. This is embarrassing. This is real embarrassing. The fact that everyone heard it and everyone's looking at the bathroom, it's like, this wouldn't happen to anyone else. But how obnoxiously do you have to throw up? I hate people that obnoxiously do things like that. It's like people that obnoxiously sneeze. Um, This is going to sound weird coming from me about Susan, but are you not being a bit harsh? (laughs) No, because nobody throws up that loud. Nobody's like... Like, no one's, <laughs> no one throws up like that. <laughs> I can tell that this is a very heated subject for you. <laughs> it's because I get really bad, I get really bad, like, sensory overload. Yeah, I, I can get really bad. Slurping is a big one for me. Oh, we know it was in the last episode. It was in the last episode, I know. Like, and just random loud noises really just get me. But we're going to move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've tangent a little bit. <laughs> Brie is at dinner with Carolyn and her husband when Trish walks past. Brie makes a point to say hello to her and make sure that Trish sees that she's with Carolyn. Carolyn and Brie go into the bathroom to freshen up and Carolyn takes this moment to show Brie photos of Alma. Alma's all beaten and bruised in the photos and she even has the police report that Alma filed from when Orson hit her. Brie is absolutely shocked by this and Alma states that she wanted Brie to know that she isn't some crazy old lady and that she wouldn't be able to forgive herself if Orson did this to anyone else. How did she get this police report? Anyone can access a police report after it's been filed. What? That's why they can. I think in America, not in the UK. Oh. I think you've got you've got access. Once once it once a case has been closed, you can access the files. Oh, that's horrible for the victim. So while they're in the restroom, the men are still at the table and Carolyn's husband confesses to Orson that he had an affair with another woman, and Carolyn doesn't know about this. Apparently, this woman hasn't seen him since. It's like she just disappeared. And he shows Orson her photo, saying that her name is Monique. (gasps) Orson hides his surprise really well, though, and just says that she's really pretty before the ladies rejoin the table. And then it's just 
awkward. Real awkward. I mean, I can't decide if Carolyn is ever being nice or not. <laughs> because she does a nice thing. And then, I don't know, she just sort of ends it making some snide comment. Well, you can't do a nice thing and expect something in return. She's yeah. not actually a nice person. But, but she's, she's she's doing an, the right thing, but that doesn't make it nice of her to do it. Yeah, because she's there like, oh, um, I just wanted to see you to see that, you know, I wasn't some crazy nut out to get you. And I'd never forgive myself if something like this happened. And then the woman comes back, like the, the restroom attendant or whatever, comes back with the tissues that she asked for. And she's like, I thought you might need these. And I was just like, okay, that's a snide comment. So are you being nice or are you being shitty? Because you're being nice and then peppering some snidiness in there. She's not doing it for Brie. She's doing it so that she can sleep at night. Well, yeah, but that's why most people do nice things. So they can sleep at night. But that's bullshit though, isn't it? No, not really. That's the sad truth. Most people only do nice things so that they can have the clout. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that what you said is bullshit. I'm saying it's, it's just a bullshit fact of life, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I get what you mean. Also... I'm sorry, but if I died and my friend carried around that photo of me, of all the photos that you could carry around of me, and you carried that, I'd be livid. I'd be coming back to haunt her ass. I'd have that picture, like, next to your gravestone, like, on the easel during the funeral. And then you'd just have written in it, like, never looked better. (laughs) (laughs) This was a job at its finest. (laughs) Tom comes home to Lynette, and we have this really sweet scene where they both just apologise to each other. They realise that what they've done wrong... Tom says he's been stupid and that he loves Lynette more than any pizza restaurant. And Lynette stops him, saying that she hasn't been supportive as a wife, as she should have been, and that she supports his dream to open a pizza restaurant. And they hug and they kiss. Loved the bit where Tom asks how Lynette's night was, and she was like, yeah, I just had a quiet night in with the girls. And then she put the bin bag down and then all the bottles just clinked. (laughs) (laughs) Love that. Lynette then asks what happened tonight to make him realise this. And Tom tells Lynette not to go crazy about what he's going to tell her. And it's actually a good thing because it brought them closer together. Yeah, this isn't going to go well. We then cut to Lynette, who um, kicks down Nora's front door, Jessica Jones style. Told you it wasn't going to go well. (laughs) She says, ding Ding dong. dong. And Nora (laughs) proceeds to defend herself, naturally, saying that whatever Tom told her isn't true and that he came onto her. And so Lynette goes to attack Nora. But Kayla walks into the room. Lynette says that she just came over to talk to Nora so Kayla can go back into her room. But Nora tells Kayla to stay exactly where she is. So Lynette decides not to punch Nora right now. It's well shitty of Nora Mm. to use Kayla this way. And also, I'm pissed off at Kayla because we were about to get the showdown that we've been waiting for for about eight episodes. This has been building. This has been building and building and we finally get it and then... Kayla ruins it just by existing. Oh, I know. (laughs) Poor Kayla. If Kayla, if you hadn't have just rocked up, (laughs) we'd be literally about to see Lynette kick Nora's ass. Or Nora kick Lynette's ass. Oh, I bet she fights today. Who, Nora? Exactly. But so does Lynette. Yeah, but she was a cruise ship dancer. I feel like Nora's had to learn to, like, fight a little bit to get off those leery men that are, like, drunk and shit. No, yeah, Nora will fight Kay, and Mm. Lynette will fight Dirty. That'll be a showdown. Mm. So, yeah, Lynette decides that She's not going to get what she wants here, so she's going to leave. But first, she gives Nora a quick hug and um, whispers some frets into her ear. And I'm going to play the clip for that. First, I'm just going to give your mom a hug. Your association with my family is over. When Kayla comes to visit, you will drop her at the end of the block. You will never again see my husband. And if you try to, I will do to your spine what I just did to your front door. Nod if you understand. And you? I'm going to see you on Saturday, right? Don't forget your swimsuit. 
She nods, by the way. Nora, Nora does nod. And then Lynette leaves. <laughs> Lynette is just absolute gold in this scene. And just the flip between furious rage and domination to lovable stepmom is just a little bit hot. Yeah, we, we couldn't cut it out because it was very excellent. It was just such a fantastic little clip. But Felicity sells it. And she really does. The best thing, you can just imagine Lynette doing something like this, like literally Jessica Jones style kicking this door down. Yeah. And props to little Kayla in this scene as well. Yeah, she's a very, she was, she's very good, She's actually. a very good little actress. Whoever it is that plays Kayla, I don't have her name written down, but whoever plays her, very good little actress. And she, she I bought her fear and concern for what she's just walked into. Yeah. I bought it. I bought it. Does this mean that we're not going to get any more Nora? Is the drama over? Has Nora got the idea? Is she going to F off? I don't know. I think, I personally think this that will Nora fuel her. will fuel it. Yeah, because she'll be scared right now because of what she's just seen Lynette do to her door and, and this whole thing. But I think that tonight when Nora like goes to bed, she'll start to feel that humiliation that she's just felt in front of her daughter. She'll do that thing we all do when we go to bed and we're like, oh, I should have said that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that Nora will very much um, come back at Lynette for this. I don't think it's over yet. Susan comes downstairs, it's the next morning, she's obviously hungover, to find Ian reading the newspaper, and he says he bought a home and slept on the sofa. Susan asks what happened, and Ian plays a game of Susan or booze, saying that she said she missed him. Apparently that was Susan. It was a mistake breaking up with him, that was apparently also Susan, and that she wants to start again, which was also Susan. The only one that was the booze talking was when Susan said that she wanted to dress him up like a naughty schoolboy and spank his bottom. But Susan knows that she definitely did not say that. Yeah, but she also said a little bit of both. Yeah. So boozing. They so then check them out, repping for like the roleplay kinky people. Good for you guys. <laughs> they then proceed to kiss. And uh, kissing hungover Susan must have been gross for Ian. Yeah. Maybe that's why when they kiss, Susan's theme is playing in the background. Oh, maybe. Because you'd think it'd be like that sweet kind of music, like... But they kiss and it's... Doo, 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 doo. Yeah, but that's because of the scene we've just had. Right, <laughs> do you know what I mean? But um, I can't speak for Americans, but do they really say tossing your tacos? <laughs> because that sounds disgusting. <laughs> Who said that? Ian, he was like, oh, yes, I've, uh, when I dropped you off, you were still, as you Americans say... Tossing your tacos. I was like, ugh, ugh. Does that mean vomiting? Yeah. Oh, that's disgusting. I was like, I can't speak for Americans, obviously, but do you guys really say that? Because I kind of feel like you don't say that. And this is just a- another language that Ian's fucking up in the Western world. Detective Ridley gets a call from, well, obviously Orson, mm-hmm. who tells Ridley that the body they brought up was Monique and that before she died, she was having an affair with a man named Harvey Bigsby. Ridley asks for the man's name so that he can bring him in for a statement. But Orson, who is using a payphone, hangs up and drives away. This is shade. Like, this just, just shows that Orson really doesn't care about anyone but himself. Spilling the He's tea. even willing to throw his friend under the bus. Well, because he's probably done something shady and wrong. Exactly. And so he'll just be like, yeah, I'll, I'll, this is the perfect get-out clause now. Yeah. Harvey was having an affair with her too. So Gabby's in her room and calls up Carlos to help do up her dress. He says she looks nice and she says that she's seen some friends and her zipper got stuck. He tries to help her do up the zipper and notes that it's like someone put super glue on it. And Gabby oh. decides that she's going to wear something else so <laughs> as not to Weird. be late. She takes it off and stands there in her underwear. Carlos is clearly aroused and Gabby says, oh, this old thing, you've seen this all before, before laying on the bed with her broken nail. Carlos then walks over and proceeds to help her get her tights on or stockings or whatever you want to call them. 
he stockings. Pre- yeah, he proceeds to put these on while Gabby seductively moves her leg around, and they end up making out on the bed. Uh, I do more than that. <laughs> yeah, but we'll get to that. Like, this is a pretty genius plan. She knows how Carlos thinks. Carlos is a very sexual man. So it's a pretty genius plan for Gabby to do this. And we've all done things for money that we aren't exactly proud of. I mean, you say it's a genius plan, but you don't even know what her plan is. All she's doing is sleeping with him so far. Well, yeah, I know, but she's <laughs> prolonging the divorce. So we know what her plan is. Her mm. plan is to sleep with him, get him back, prolong the divorce till he gets the new job and then divorce him. Mm. But is it going to work out in her favour? Well, we don't know because we don't know how Carlos knows how to play either. Gabby knows how to play. We can see that. But does Carlos know what, what he's playing? But we know what Carlos is like. He can be very sneaky. Yeah. So Gabby and Carlos are in bed, and Gabby's saying to Carlos that maybe they should just stay together, as they have so much passion. Carlos starts to say how great this is, but he ends up laughing. And when Gabby asks why he's laughing, he tells her that he knows that she's seen this contract. (laughs) Gabby tries to feign ignorance, but Carlos, quite shadily, (laughs) tells her that she's a model, not a model-stroke actress, and that the contracts are fake. Gabby asks why he has fake contracts, and Carlos pulls up the bed covers and is like, well, let's see. (laughs) Gabby then gets the idea and angrily gets out of bed and covers herself with the bed sheets and they start to argue. Carlos says that Gabby doesn't get to screw him over and get half of his money, and that he wanted to walk out on his terms and hurt her. Gabby then calls him a bastard, and he says, better a bastard than a whore, and this triggers Gabby, who shoves him and he smashes through the window. (laughs) He just smashes right through the bedroom window. That's like, for people that haven't seen this before, that is a gag. When I first watched this, I was like, <gasps> was like oh my God, have we just killed a character like like that? Yeah, I was like, oh my God, she's called Carlos. <laughs> I mean, that escalated. It really, did, it really did escalate. And I'm not really sure how I feel about this scene. Well, um, I'm not really on either of their sides. They're both doing horrible things. Yeah, because I would be mad at Carlos, but then again, he didn't force Gabby to sleep with him. No, but he manipulated her into it. You know, Gabby is at fault for falling for it, but then he did manipulate her. But then then she's doing it because of a plan. If she wasn't so greedy, it wouldn't have worked. So I've just, I've really, I'm so all over the place of how I feel about this scene. It's just gotten to the point with Gabby and Carlos where you're like, I'm on neither of their sides anymore. They're we're both not, toxic. Yeah. We're not on anyone's side. We're just watching it happen. Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's terrible and funny. But I would have also pushed him out of a window for taking away two million from me in the space of 30 seconds. I would have pushed Carlos out of a window way sooner than this. <laughs> she sees his body in the bushes below, all bloody and glassy, and she calls 911 to report the accident. <laughs> accident, I see. <laughs> it was an accident. But we when saw she... from her reaction... <laughs> But when she goes to say, my husband fell out of the window, or whatever it was that she was going to tell them, she notices that Carlos's body isn't there. And she tells them, I'm going to have to call you back. Which I thought was really funny. Oh, uh, what the hell? She then walks downstairs, and Carlos is limping through the front door, glass still in body, and he says, oh yeah, it's on. I love Gabby when she hears the door going, she's like, Carlos, honey... <laughs> she's scared she is she's so probably, scared she's probably like he's gonna kill me <laughs> I'm gonna have to call you back <laughs> I'd have kept them on I'd be like please stay on the line <laughs> god that whole scene was it just exploded yeah that oh my was, gosh. it was a very extra scene it was it was a really extra scene loved it I absolutely loved this scene I'm really convinced that this film was inspired by War of the Roses I really am this film this scene was <laughs> I'm, I'm convinced that this show for this season was inspired by that film of just a marriage where they're breaking up and the fights are getting worse and worse and it's just building and building 
and then, then it just results in just actual violence. Maybe. I mean, we've still got the um, trivia and stuff for the box set to watch. It's pa- currently packed at the moment, so we can't really watch the box set. But yeah, we'll get there. We'll watch it when we're unpacked. I hope that actually turns out to be the case. Mm. If we not, don't... it's still a good point out, though. It's still a good like, thing to notice. Thanks, Doll. We then cut to the next day, and Harvey Bigsby is watering his plants when Detective Ridley, Sassy Ridley, shows up and pulls out a photo of Monique, asking if he knows her. Harvey says they were sleeping together and asks if they can go talk about it somewhere else while Carolyn watches curiously from the window. Carolyn said, like, who's she? <laughs> I love how she's like, all right, I'll sleep with her. <laughs> He's just like, okay, fine, you twisted my arm. Like, you, you got it out of me. Were you admitting this or is it just a humble brag? <laughs> yeah, I did that. Yeah, I slept with her, so what? The detective's like, have you seen this woman? He's like, yeah, I tapped that. He's just there like, all right, you've tortured me. Okay, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> But that's all we get from this, guys. So whatever happens there, we're going to have to wait now. Yeah, yeah. Mary Alice ends the episode talking about sinners confessing at church and expecting absolution, but how not all of them deserve it. Because apparently she's the call-out lady now. Right, she's just that she's now God, apparently. She says that most of them who unveil hidden agendas deserve their condemnation, while we see a shot of a very sad-looking Nora sitting on the floor. Most who seek vengeance merit the punishment that follows, and we see a shot of a very cut up and bruised looking Carlos who's just sitting on the bed in pain. She says that only the truly repentant should expect a second chance, and we see a shot of Susan and Ian lying together on the sofa, for some reason. Yuck. And then we end on a shot of Mike waiting for his surprise, and Edie walks into the room in a sexy white lingerie, but... This unexpectedly triggers a forgotten memory for Mike, and he remembers Monique opening the front door in her lingerie and saying, I thought you'd never get here. Edie asks what's wrong, and Mike admits that he thinks he knew that girl who died. Can I just ask, what did Mary Alice say before the shot of Susan and Ian again? She said that only the truly repentant should expect a second chance. But can we stop acting like Susan's truly repentant? That's Yeah, that's why I was like, for some reason, she like, said that. Can we just stop acting like it? Because we all know Susan doesn't care about Ian. No. She's only there because she can't have Mike. He's a second chance. Messy. Messy Susan. It is messy, and it's stupid of Mary Alice to be there like, only the truly repentant will get what they want, or whatever bullshit she spouts. You see, Bloody Mary Alice, I thought you were supposed to be like this ethereal being that knows all now. <laughs> That's not Mary Alice, it's the edit. <laughs> <laughs> it's the editing, blame the editing. And that is where the episode ends. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Oh, so Mike does know Monique. Apparently. He's like, I think I knew that girl who died. Mm. Oh dear. Oh, she. I think Mike was probably sleeping with her. Yeah. Either that or she got the wrong end of the stick, and yeah. he showed up like, no, I'm just here to do the plumbing love. Like, oh my god. <laughs> but who can say? <laughs> Oh my god, babe, next episode. It's, it's the next episode. Oh, yeah. It's the next episode. The next episode is my favourite episode. Don't like, worry, we'll get there, we'll get there. Oh my god, I'm just, I'm so excited we're finally here. Let's focus on this episode first, baby. So we're now going to move on to the segment where Joel's going to give us the gayest and straightest moment of the episode. If you're new here, it's very exciting, it's very fun. So Joel, what was your award for gayest moment? My award for gayest moment... goes to Tish at the country club for deliberately saying hello to Rebecca and ignoring Brie. <laughs> because I, I loved the energy that gave off. I've done that before to people. <laughs> but <laughs> when I was younger. <laughs> as a, a little gay boy that's not into religion, I have always wanted to go into a confessional booth and just say anything. <laughs> so I will, I, there is a little shout out there. Edie was a contender for this, for confessing her sins, but not really confessing. She loved every minute of it. And what was your award for the straightest moment? I don't have one. 
What? I don't have an award for straightest moment. I just didn't really get a straight moment from this episode, really. Like, there was nothing... It wasn't like it was an overly gay moment or gay episode, but there was no straight. Well, never mind. No straightest moment this week, but... No. It was never the intention to do it anyway. It was a fun thing that we just brought up in the first episode, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like an additional thing. I didn't really give much thought to straightest moment. Fair enough. Well, that was Joel's segment, guys. Joel's segment. So now we move on to B's for best and worst parent. So B, who do you have for the best parent of the episode? My award for... Best parent of the episode. I gave this to Lynette for being open with her kids about how she was annoyed with Tom, but reassuring them that she still loves him and they're not divorcing. So it was nice just to get that reassurance. Okay. Because they were going to find out they were arguing anyway. Yeah. Sometimes you just want to hear, look, we're not divorcing. We're just annoyed with each other. Adults do that. It's normal. Um, Okay, so who do you have for worst parent of the episode? My award for... Worst parent of the episode. Naturally, I gave it to Nora. Thank God. (laughs) Who is basically using her as... Using Kayla as a shield. Yeah, she's like, Kayla, don't move. That was well shitty. Because she's like, if this girl leaves this room, I'm dead. (laughs) <laughs> yeah she's basically using her as a barrier pretty much so yeah that was that was shoddy parenting then Nora. yeah that was real bad parenting yeah but i also wanted to give her best parent because she's trying to get her daughter or a dad you've already done that i know you done that maybe you've already she... done that so i kind of feel like she was also the best parent that no, she was not okay <laughs> how can you say that tearing apart one family does not make you a good parent it does if you're creating a new one it balances out it doesn't balance out at all <laughs> Not when one family has like 20 kids and you've got your one. So that was it, guys. That was the end of the episode. We did it. it. Was. We, did <laughs> we got do there. It. Um, if you, so if people want to follow us on our social medias where they can see all of our posts, where can they do that, babe? You can find us on Instagram at Boyfriends Review and you can find us on Twitter at BFS Review. Yeah. And, you know, please do carry on sending in your messages, having a chat with us about the show. Yes, we love it. It's really fun. Um, it's been really nice chatting with you guys. You can also email us. Our email address is boyfriendsreview at outlook.com and all of the artwork is done by Louis at DocRedMonkDesign on Instagram and there's also a link to his Etsy page. Yeah. He does commissions mm-hmm. if you want some uh, nice little things. So if you join us next week, we'll be back in your ears with some brand new content and we'll be doing season three, episode seven. Bang! Oh my god, I'm so excited! It's Joel's favourite episode. It's my favourite episode. It'll so be a good episode. We will see you then. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.